Welcome to the Swike Podcast, the only podcast that shares the stuff you didn't know you needed to know about jobs, careers, and life. The Swike Podcast, the stuff I wish I knew earlier. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. We're here with another mentor, uh, Sharina, who's going to give us a little bit of her background and walk through uh, some topics on uh, education. Uh, so she comes to us as, as a grad who did sociology and, and philosophy and then went and did her uh, B.Ed. And, and, and the teacher's college and is now uh, teaching at the North York Women's Shelter. So uh, that's kind of um, my understanding of, of a bit of your background. But can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what you're doing now and then we'll kind of get into your, your backstory? Yeah, so right now I am teaching, I would say this is a private situation at North York Women's Shelter. It's a completely new program that they started because of COVID-19. Um, so to prevent the spread of COVID, they decided that they would create a program where they'll hire a teacher to come in and teach the kids at the shelter so the kids don't need to go and actually go in person to school. Virtual learning it is an option, but given the circumstance, you know, for students who might have trouble with focus, who might need that extra support with someone who facilitated the learning, they're like, you know what, we'll just have someone here who is certified in teaching. They can take over the program, teach with the Ontario curriculum, and then they don't need to worry about kids struggling with virtual. They don't need to worry about kids missing out on school. So that's basically what our program is. Um, the difference, though, is in my classroom, I have more than one grade. So mm. before I had some students in grade three, I had some in grade eight and some in kindergarten. Okay. And we're cycling through the day. So in the morning, I'll have a couple of uh, kids for maybe two hours, and then I'll have another kid for one hour, and then we would try to cycle through. Um, and then because it's a shelter, you have people coming in and out. So I've actually lost three of my students. They have since moved, and I have two new students now who are in kindergarten. Sounds good. So it sounds like a, a bit of a dynamic and flexible yeah. environment, uh, doing it's a whole very bunch flexible. of different things. So exactly. that's amazing. So, so I'd, I'd love to uh, kind of go back in time and start a little bit about what was uh, Shrina like as, as a kid? So kind of give us more of your background, what were you like growing up, and, and uh, how did you kind of get to where you are right now? Hmm. I'd say I was a very shy kid. I never liked, you know, things like performing or being up in the front, but at the same time, I liked the idea of teaching which is strange because in teaching you're up at the front in front of a group of people. Uh, but for some reason, like the idea of teaching was just so appealing. Like I can help people get better. I would pretend to do teaching with my cousins. I would give them, like I would make my own worksheet and give it to them and they would actually do it. <laughs> and, so and how would, old was that when, when you did that? Like 10, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> really, yeah, I really loved it. You know, we would play teaching, we play games. And I think that was sort of like in the back of my mind, like that's just what I want to do. I never really considered anything else. I had a brief idea of doing law, but realistically, I'm like, no, I can't. That's not something I actually think I want to do. I'm like, teaching has been the main thing. Uh, and I come from a family of teachers. My grandma was a teacher, and my aunt is a teacher. Um, and I like being in school, I think. Like just the school environment is really comfortable. So I'm like, yeah, I, I like to stay here. Um, and then as growing, when I was growing up, I realized in high school, we had a co-op program. And it was kind of, you had to find your own co-op. Now for high school, it's different because in university, you're getting paid, it's an actual job. Right. In high school, it's more volunteer. Your paying is your credit. You're getting two credits. So in the morning, um, we would have the class, they would sit us down, they'd say, okay, you had to find your own co-op. We're not finding it for you. You got to find someone who's willing to take you on. Um, and I said, I want to do a teaching co-op. So I had to go, I went around to different schools I said, are you willing to take a co-op student? I can just be an assistant to you. Like, 
and I had a school nearby, five minute walk. And they were like, yeah, that's cool. We can, we'll, we'll take you in. So I was like, yeah, that's great. Um, I got so lucky because at the school that was close by, they were open to the idea. Um, and so what happened was the principal gets in contact with the school. They settle out the details of what I'll be doing. And I was assigned to my first, I would say she, yeah, she's a mentor teacher, Miss um, Meta, and it was with a special needs classroom. Okay. It was different. So I was working again in a small group with kids and um, really learning how you can get kids interested in learning, uh, how you can make kids comfortable in the classroom. I think that was the biggest thing I learned in the special needs classroom. It was less so lesson planning. It was more so how can I make this child feel like they want to be in school, right? right? A hard time. How can you bring them back to like wanting to participate and sort of go away from that closed area? And then I was in a second classroom, which was a bigger, more normal, you know, like 20 kids, one teacher. Uh, and that was a split grade one, two, which was completely different because now I'm no longer worried about, you know, how they feel. Now it's like, well, how do I lesson plan? How do you facilitate all this I didn't actually get to see that because I was doing co-op so I was really more of an assistant I would go and take photocopies I think that was a big help because you know I was there for maybe an hour the whole hour would be just photocopying right so I'd imagine if you're a teacher if I wasn't there that one hour of her you know prep and lunch would be doing that so I'm like where do you like where do you get a break where do you get to kind of like sit back and (laughs) it never occurred to me then until I was in the classroom myself I'm like wow they don't get time to sort of like sit down (laughs) And then after doing my co-op, I went and applied for, well, I was thinking the programs that I wanted to do. I'm not a strong math person. I've never really been into science. I love literature. And again, in grade 11, I took a class which was sociology, uh, psychology, and anthropology. Okay. And from the three, I liked sociology. I liked, actually I liked all three, but when I was applying in university, I'm like, I think I'll focus on sociology the most. That's really what sparked the sociology. That was from a grade 11 class just one class uh and then same thing for philosophy when I was in grade 12 I took a philosophy course I loved it I loved every single bit of it I think everyone else thought it was really boring but I'm like no I like talking about ethics I like talking about morals I like discussing you know logic and puzzles so when I applied for university they're like okay you're it was a co-op program and they were like if you're doing co-op you also have to have two majors so I'm like okay sociology philosophy um done like that's what I'm going for and I was like if I want to be a teacher um if I'm going to be doing the younger grades I don't need to worry about doing a math course or history course I can do these two and then teach elementary that was kind of like the games you know the long range plans and just crossing my fingers that that's that's what'll happen um and of course you know along the way I got different comments so my family was really supportive they're like you want to do teaching go for it and then you also got comments that are like well there's not a lot of jobs available you know what's your backup plan I was like I don't I don't really have a backup plan <laughs> just hoping that maybe after I graduate something will pan out but yeah I really just stuck to it um the only difficulty I ran into was when I was doing my university co-op because okay. when you're doing a philosophy because it was under philosophy now I don't know what a philosophy co-op is <laughs> right? Sure. Like yeah. business co-op, there's science co-op, and then there's philosophy co-op. Like what is a philosophy co-op? You, so you sit first, with Socrates or something all day and just kind of exactly. think about it. Yeah. And <laughs> so I was like, I don't understand why this exists, but I'm going to do it. Um, and it had nothing to do with philosophy. My first job, I was um, working in a company that does circuit boards. And I was kind of like a, an assistant for the customer service group, which was really sort of filing. I was doing a lot of um, inputting data with lots of numbers, 
Uh, I I was basically all over the place because they were like, we're taking you in, then you're kind of just gonna be floating around departments helping. Um, That was the first co-op. And then the second one I actually did in UTSC in the admin building. And again, same thing, I was looking at data, I was inputting stuff, nothing was philosophy, even though it came under philosophy co-op. And those were actually the first two jobs that I had that were like legitimate jobs and that was not just volunteering. So I was really thankful for that. Uh, I think if people can get into a co-op program, it's really, really helpful. Cause that's literally like what I had on my resume was all from my co-op. I'm like, these things I learned, these things that I did. And surprisingly my grade, you know, it's just high school co-op, but that was the main thing that got me into my program when I applied for teacher's college. Mm. I was able to reach out to my mentor teacher that I had at the time. So this is 2018 is when I'm, sorry, 2017 is when I'm applying now, you know, looking to put my application and I'm looking for this mentor teacher that I had in 2011. And I was jumping through hoops. I'm like, I need to find her. I managed to find her and she was really sweet. She's like, yeah, I remember you wrote your letter, but I'm like, just remembering to have those connections. Right. People that help you, right? Because this is someone who I met seven years ago, right? I haven't even spoken to since then, but because I remembered her name and stuff and because, you know, we connected at the time, I'm like, that was so helpful. If I didn't have her, I honestly, I'm not too sure who I would have used to talk about my experience. Cause when you're applying for teacher's college, you need to write a letter um, stating why you would make a good teacher. What is your experience? What makes you think you belong in this program? And for me, the biggest thing was talking about the experience I have with those special needs kids um, and how me being there made like fueled my interest in being a teacher because a lot of the experiences I had just in grade 11 right I was only there for about two hours a day but um that alone for me was like what am I doing that's making these kids happy right when teachers are coming and telling me like what did you do why is he happy now why like what magic did you sprinkle I'm like I want to spread that magic for everyone right I want to open that up to more places um and then you go to the actual teaching field and you realize that it's so hard to really do that um when I got into York and I started doing my placements I'm like there's so much I need to do and I feel bad because there's some kids that are falling behind I'm like how can I you know juggle looking at this the way the system is how do you juggle these few students who might be falling behind you have some students who are advanced and you have one hour to do this lesson some kids need one-on-one help some need more some need that and it's just where I am right now is really trying to figure out what is the best way to approach all these different types of learners, right? Is it even feasible for one person to, you know, actually help all these kids be at the level that they need to be? Um, and like we spoke a little about earlier, you know, if you could rewrite the whole system, like how many things I would want to be different, right? Like, it's funny because it's, it's really a shock going from just being a student, watching the teacher teach, you know, and then when you're in the driver's seat now, and it's like, no, now you have your classroom, now you're in charge. Very different. Yeah, I think that that's amazing. So it sounds like that uh, relatively early on, you knew uh, what you wanted to do. And it was almost like a, a straight shot there where things yeah. started to fall into place. Uh, in that <laughs> where, I mean, doing worksheets uh, or fake worksheets as, as a 10-year-old <laughs> kind of 
points to that. Uh, but were there, so, so you mentioned a little bit about uh, entertaining law, but it didn't really quite mm -hmm. uh, go through there. What, what was kind of the, the thought process or behind that or what kind of pushed you there or what were the influences? Were there, were there mom and dad, um, were, they, were they teachers as well? You said your grandmother was a teacher, yes. um, but, but uh, what did they do? Brothers and sisters, did, did they uh, kind of go down the teaching route as, as well or? Uh, so my mom's younger sister is a teacher wonderful right. teacher um i think my grandma my all my all of her sisters were all teachers back in sri lanka and stuff and even here for a while um but no one i think this is my great-grandfather one of them was a lawyer as well we have a couple of lawyers in the family okay. i think the reason i considered law was just because in my head i like to argue with myself a lot in my head and i'm like hmm, okay like again with the philosophy thing right with logic and you're kind of putting things together that was kind of why I entertained the idea of law. And I thought, okay, I mean, you would go to school. It's a similar process and you'd write your, your LSAT. But this is what, do I want to do this? Um, and when I brought it up, I mean, I think the reason I thought about it for a while was because a couple of times when I bring up the teaching, you'd kind of get like a side eye sometimes of like, you know, is this feasible? Sure. Um, not for my parents. My parents have never said anything about my career choices. They've been supportive no matter what. Um, but just from other people who kind of, you know, uh, the teaching is not so great, you know, look at other people who are not getting jobs. Some people have been in this career for 10 years, they're still not permanent. And I was kind of like, I hear you, but I'm gonna do it anyway. Sure. <laughs> because, um, law, I don't see it as something that I can realistically do. Um, when I put myself in that position of like, can you actually go to court and like fight a case? Like, I don't think I'm gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna happen. Of course, there's other things you can do in law too, but I just figured the whole LSAT and the studying and the stress is not something that I would personally um, it would not be satisfying for me to go through like maybe I could have considered it but when I started doing practice LSATs um, online I was like no I don't I don't like this at all and I liked the teaching environment since I was younger I loved it in grade 11 I've done tutoring in between I loved it then I'm just gonna stick with what I like doing that's awesome. So uh, going to, to your story, it, it kind of seems like that um, high school co-op was, was really kind of that thing that really propelled you forward, right? In the yeah. sense that you, you got a good feel of the classroom and even that, that, that special needs uh, classroom where you, you had kind of more uh, personal attention to a particular kid and then got a, a bit of a taste of uh, the challengers that yeah. that. Uh, teachers go through because it seems uh, re really nice on the outside it's like well why don't you just teach him this but because mm -hmm. there's such a spectrum of whatever 18 20 kids that that each need individual attention exactly you just can't really do that but um so it sounds like that the recommendation is, is to do a high school co-op or, or something to, to as early as you can um mm -hmm. get a feel for what you're trying yeah. to do or what you plan to do right so um Talk to me a little bit about, about the, the interest in, in kind of sociology, philosophy, and how that kind of impacts uh, your, your interest and in, in, um, in, in the teaching realm. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, but I would say philosophy for me is kind of like um, just the way my mind works, you know, okay. your ethics, stuff like that. I would say more sociology. So when we, a couple of my classes that I had really focused on minority groups, um, how are people treated, um, hierarchy, stuff like that. And it really gives you an insight into how unfortunate certain people's lives are just because of their backgrounds, races, religions, whatever. Um, and when you take that with you into the classroom, it kind of, it, you will see the system even more, right? Who are the kids who are getting called out on the most? Right. Who are the ones who are falling behind? Is it because they genuinely are not understanding the material? Is it because the teacher is 
unconsciously using their bias to, you know, pick on certain groups, you might not even notice it, right? Until you consciously sit down and go, why did I pick on this kid, mm-hmm. right? Why is it the same group of kids are always in those um, extra health groups? Why is it the same group of kids who are always in those extra, like it just, it really opens your eyes to those things. Um, I had one particular professor, um, Paloma Viega, she was amazing at opening people's eyes to the biases that exist in society, uh, in hierarchy, especially, and even with like gender studies, right? Like men, women, the differences, you know, how are girls treated in the classroom? How are boys treated in the classroom? You know, why do teachers say I need a strong boy to carry this? Like just, just say you want a student to carry this, really? All those kind of things is what kind of fueled me like, okay, how can I take this, go to the classroom and change the minds of kids so that we can become better? Because kids are in school for a really long time. Everything they learn is, you know, you're shaping how they're going to be as adults and every single grade matters. They're always, you know, changing their minds, developing. So it's important they learn these things as young as possible so that they don't need to grow up and be like, oh, I need to change these biases. Like don't have the biases in the first place. And it'll, you know, they'll be better as they're growing up and they'll see things differently. Hopefully they'll be, you know, stronger, more independent, more confident, as opposed to, you know, silencing and keeping them onto a certain stereotype, I would say. Yeah, there's some conversations that I've had where, like, is that the job of the teachers or is that the job of the parents, right? right? Because technically, I mean, like, you're learning math, science, reading, writing, arithmetic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you're supposed to be learning in school. Like, um, biases and unconscious biases, is that a subject you should take in kindergarten? (laughs) It's one of those things where it's not, um, like, you wouldn't address it like, guess what, today we're going to talk about your biases. Of course, yeah. the way a lot of teachers, especially in teachers college, they touch on this. They say, I mean, the way you're approaching it is through your lessons. Sure. Right. So when you're talking about, you know, you might be talking about something with food um, and people might commonly approach a certain type of food, which everyone knows, but you know, you're allowed to draw on other things too. You can bring mm-hmm. on other ethnicities, other foods. When we're reading stories, when you're using names, you know, just making it normal so that we're not always using a certain, you know, we're not just using Anglo-Saxon, like that kind of thing, where you want to make sure that kids all feel equal. Kids are not. I think a good example we did in teacher's college with a professor, he, we were talking about holidays okay. and the holiday season. And, you know, who gets to celebrate their holiday without missing school? Um, who maybe have to, may have to miss school to celebrate their holiday, right? And we know that we have in school, there's two weeks off for Christmas. So anyone who celebrates Christmas, they're not missing out on school. But say you celebrate something else that comes in the middle of the week. You will now miss school in order to celebrate your holiday. And it's kind of opening up those discussions with kids. And, you know, it might could be part of social studies, right? In grade two, you learn about the world. You learn about different cultures. You can open up that conversation about, so when do we celebrate our stuff? How could we make this fair? How could we reorganize the calendar so that, everyone gets a fair chance to celebrate their holiday. Could we take summer instead of having two months, could we take away a month and divide that into the year so that other kids can also celebrate their stuff and not have to miss school. And it's that kind of thing where you're not telling kids, well, oh, I think you need to think differently. It's kind of like, what do you think about this? And get their mind to work critically so that they can recognize it on their own, right? You don't want to plant the ideas for them, but you want to give them the tools so that they start to think for themselves and start to wonder, hmm, what if we did think what if we did things that way? 
Yeah, I think that's that's amazing, and and yeah. that's why I, you and I connect in in terms of like, well, really giving them the skills, critically uh, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Let more on the uh, soft skills versus the hard skills is yeah. definitely um, one thing to kind of consider. Um, so so walk us through a little bit about uh, the choice of schools, right? So so you have kind of. Um, a chance to go into, uh, I guess, like uh, different schools. So did you specifically choose one because of co-op? Um, did that kind of carry through you? And then how, how did you ultimately choose your, your the, the teacher's college for you? How, how did you go through those two decisions? So when I was picking, so I started my co-op, um, well, the high school one was because it was close by and I was looking at different places. I'm like, you know, just calling up and being like, is something you're into? Um, and then when I was applying for university, I was thinking co-op will be helpful because I will finally step into the work field, right? Hopefully somewhere where it has to do with, you know, an actual job and not just doing something part-time, you know, where I would learn actual skills. Mm -hmm. um, and because it was University of Scarborough close by, I'm like, ah, wonderful, it's co-op, it's close by, I'll go there. Cause I also applied to other places. Um, and then when I was coming closer to the end of my undergrad, I'm like, okay, now do I really want to do teacher's college seriously? Because you're paying for your applications too. It's not cheap, right? You're paying for every single place you want to apply to. Um, and so I considered Trent, but Trent is a bit further away. I considered York and um, one other one, it's not coming to mind. I can't remember. I think it was UOIT maybe. Um, and when I heard back from Trent and York, I'm like, okay, York is close by. They have a well-recognized program. I will go there. Not, not OISE, the downtown Toronto? Or? I didn't, oh, okay. So the reason I didn't apply to OISE is because I was not getting my reference letters on time. Ah, okay. So, so timing, timing issue. Yes. So I considered OISE first. Uh, and then what happened is because I needed it by a certain date and I hadn't contacted, like I didn't hear back from anyone yet, I couldn't apply for that. Gotcha. Yeah. So that was more it's of a technicality than anything. <laughs> And, and then between the, the three schools, so so a lot of it was was more on the, the proximity. It seems like that kind of uh, won out um, out of everything. And interestingly enough, so my aunt is a teacher, also went to UTSC, also went to York. Okay. Yeah, not that, I mean, it did have nothing to do with my choices, but I was like, yeah, I mean, uh, everyone talks about York a lot and I've heard good things. So I'm like, there's nothing like I'm not, it's not just because it's close by. It's also right. well known. It has a good program. So I'm not losing anything by choosing one that's closer. Sure. So walk us through a little bit of it, but your teacher's college experience, and maybe we'll do a deep dive later on, but like, yeah. what was that part? And then more on the, you graduated and, and all the folks that said, hey, it's going to be hard to get a job and whatever. Like, what, what was that experience like? Completely changed, right? Yeah, it's really, <laughs> so uh, got in. Um, I didn't really even tell people I was applying because for me, it's one of the things that like, until I know what's going to happen, I don't like the stress of people asking like, so did you get in? Did you get in? So I kind of kept it to myself. And when I knew I was going, even then, until I was like kidding, confirm, I didn't want to say anything because I'm like, you know, what if I, what if I choose something else? I don't know. Um, yeah, got in. And then the first week I was stressed, had no <laughs> idea what was going on. Um, you know, I had to take the TTC. Thankfully, they opened the TTC to get to York. Um, so, you know, wake up in the, wake up early morning, you have your 830 classes. Um, and you also have placements once a week. We have, it was two different placements, actually. One is in the community where you volunteer close to the place where you're living. And then you also have one where you go to a classroom. Um, both are very beneficial. The special thing that York does with a community placement is it gives you a chance to really do like sort of like a deep dive about who you're living amongst. You know, I was volunteering with high school kids and tutoring them. I would have never done this if I wasn't, if it wasn't for York. And the place is like five minutes from my house 
with kids who all live in my neighborhood, right? Like right. people I would have never interacted with had I not gone to York and gotten this volunteer placement. And I continued volunteering there even after the program finished because I really liked being there. Um, so that was one thing that was really great that I took from the program is that they have this place where you're not just doing school placements, you're also learning about the community that you live in. Uh, and the courses were, they're helpful, but I also feel like we really do need to put more emphasis on being inside the classroom. Right. So okay. even though it's helpful to be there once a week, I feel like in comparison to the time I spent in the lecture hall would have been more beneficial for me to be in the classroom because you only learn so much talking, right? And talking is very easy, right? Like when we had our lectures, we'll talk about, you know, how can we increase inclusivity? How can we make kids feel good? You know, what were some things that you took from your own learning that you want to change in a classroom? And it's like, it's fantastic to have a discussion. But when I'm in the classroom now, like all those things we talked about are just, it's so much harder to put into action. And there's so many things that I need to do here that I don't know how to do because I haven't been in the classroom enough yet to gain those skills. Right. Like being in the classroom once a week is very different from when you are the one controlling the classroom for that whole week. Definitely. Yeah. My, my wife's a teacher and uh, there, there's definitely a difference between kind of the intellectual knowledge. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, the concept versus yeah. the experiential and actually yeah. being in the thick of it. Right. So it's, it's exactly. Uh, I, I like to tell people it's a difference between like uh, reading every single book on driving versus yeah. actually being behind exactly. the wheel of a car, yeah. right? Totally yeah. different things where- yeah. you, can you can memorize the book, but it's not gonna help until you've like driven how many ever times to, you know, actually understand what it takes. Exactly, so so how much was the the um, teacher's college or that part of the education impacted by, by COVID? I would, okay, so I would say, I mean, the things that I took from teacher's college is really more so, you know, checking my biases, you know, that kind of stuff, which I still need, whether I'm doing it virtually, whether I'm doing it in the classroom, like those things are all still good. I learned a lot of stuff. Um, I really, I just think I wish I had more time learning in the classroom. I think with COVID, the thing is I finished the program before COVID started. Okay. So I was able to finish without, you know, having to worry about doing virtual learning and all that stuff that kind of ended and COVID just started. Um, so all the skills that I took from Europe, all the things I learned from my programs are still, they're applicable, they're still okay. I didn't, you know, waste time doing anything and like feel like, oh, I don't need to use it now. No, I still need to use everything. Uh, and I think, no, it's still, yeah, no, it's still, it's still all good. It's still, I didn't lose anything from uh, COVID, I would say. If anything, I, there was like a demand for teacher's jobs and it's like everyone who said, you know, you're not gonna get a job. It's like, nope, now everyone is looking for teachers. Worked out. Um, things worked out in odd ways, I would say. Sounds good. So, so walk us through kind of how you ended up at uh, the, the North York Women's Shelter, because that's a little bit different than the traditional going with yeah. the boards and, and uh, yeah, they're, they're scrambling for teachers left, right and center. Yeah. <laughs> but, but how did you end up with that role? Yeah, okay. So one of my close friends from UTSC, she works here. Um, and so the manager had put out, she's like, listen, if you know anyone who is recently graduated, we're looking to look, we're looking for a teacher. They have been actively interviewing so my friend is like well yeah my friend just graduated so I let you know and um so I sent my resume to them we had an interview they told me they would get back to me and then they got back to me and they're like would you consider this um and so when they were interviewing for the job they were saying you know you're gonna have different grades um the biggest thing about working here was less so the education it was really more so 
the self-regulation, the emotional regulation because of the shelter. You have right. kids from trauma. You have kids who have seen, you know, terrible things, who are still learning to manage their emotions. So yes, we want them to learn the curriculum. We also want them to feel safe. We also want to make sure that you know how to make a classroom where the kids feel, you know, good coming here. They don't feel scared. You know, they want to be here. So that was the main thing. So when they hired me, that was a big part of the interview process. And that's still things I took from York still worked here because part of um, some of the courses I took was like, you know, how do you make sure you're being conscious of kids who might be coming from trauma? Right. You can't go to a kid and, you know, ask them like, so what's going on at home? Or like, oh, are you getting, you had to like infer these things and make sure you're not targeting when you're speaking, but making sure that they know that they can feel safe. They can come to you if they need to. You're not um, ever directly asking them because that can cause, you know, it can re-traumatize them by bringing up memories. But uh, yeah, a lot of it is just being careful with what you're saying and then also making sure you're facilitating, you know, those, how do we calm down? How do we speak? How can we use our words? You know, not our actions all the time. It's a lot of that. Right. So it sounds like it's, it's chalk another one up to networking and staying connected yeah. with people yeah. in order to, to land the job. And then exactly. it kind of sits with you in terms of, well, it, it's, it's all about connecting with your students mm -hmm. and making sure that they feel safe, they feel comfortable yeah. uh, in that. So uh, yeah, it's, it's really uh, keeping yourself in check <laughs> so that yeah. you can help others uh, in that same uh, vein as well. So uh, if you were to be able to go back to, um, to, to young Shreena in either high school or university or whenever you, you wanted to, like what sort of swipe, the, uh, the stuff I wish I knew earlier, would you, would you give her? Uh, if you can get more volunteer experience in the fields that you're interested in, right? Okay. So I know in high school, they have 40 hours or whatever, that kind of thing that you need to do. But if you can really just, I think a lot of people do the 40 hours and then it's finished. But I think if you're able to think of all the things you're interested in and find volunteering experience in each of those fields, that will be so beneficial, not just for me, but for so many people, right? If you could get a taste of that place you want to be. And I think there's also a lot of pressure that you need to know what you're going to do ahead of time. Um, right. So you know, researching the things you want to do, what does it take? And I think really sit down with those people and ask them, like, what is it like for you in your seat? Um, talk to those professionals that you think those are any, the, like, don't limit yourself to just places you're interested in. Like, even if you think you're not interested in a certain field, ask, find out. Um, and I think it's important to emphasize, like, what's it like starting compared to what, what it's like after you've been in the place for how many every years, right? Because I think, you know, if it's, I think for teachers, it can take, you know, up to five years for you to finally feel comfortable in that role. And I think it's important for people to know, like, this is what it's going to take in those five years. These are the things that you're going to feel. These are the struggles you will face, you know, for to hear, like, it's going to be really difficult for you to manage your classroom. Like, these are the skills that you need first before you think about, you know, how can I make my classroom look cute? How can I do this? How can I make that one special kid feel good? Like, these are the things that are going to hit you first. And then, <clears throat> sorry, the other things will come later. Right, that sounds like uh, some, some good guidance because a lot of times we see uh, kind of the <clears throat> polished um, kind of facade of folks where, yeah, yeah, I've been teaching for 10 years and it looks easy because they, yeah. they, they got the hang yeah. of it. But like yeah. the first year, the first class that they ran, exactly. running around and yelling, screaming or whatever. And, and it was probably wasn't as, as easy as they made it out to be. Yeah. So uh, asking kind of the, the good with the bad. And, and mm -hmm. uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head where, experience and, and really um, exploring, I, I think is, is two, two important parts where 
um, you make a decision when you're what, like 17? <laughs> yeah. What you're supposed to be doing yeah. for your career. Uh, so, so why not uh, explore a few things and, and, and uh, kind of really knowing what you uh, are getting yourself into. Um, so taking that uh, more than the 40 hours uh, and as many hours as you need would, would definitely yeah. be helpful for, for many folks. So uh, yeah, what other um, swike or, or words of wisdom would you have for yourself or are there any things that come to mind that you'd kind of uh, share with, with yourself in, in, in younger years? Uh, I would still stick to, if there's something you're passionate about, stick with it, right? I mean, I I would say I'm fairly impressionable. Like if someone tells me something's not good, I can think it, sometimes it sticks in my mind a little bit, but I'm also fairly stubborn. So, um, you know, if I kept listening to people saying not to go into teaching, I don't think I would be here today, right? I would have done something else. And who knows, like that could have been great too, but you know, with where I am now, I'm happy. So I'm happy that I continued to sort of follow through and stick with my vision because I had a plan like this, 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 and that's what I did. I'm very lucky that that's how it worked out for me. It doesn't work like that for everyone. But if you do have a passion for something, like, you know, don't keep continue to follow it as best as you can. And if other things happen along the way, it's fine. Like, you know, go with it, but don't, you know, you don't need to always, things can change completely, right? Like a couple of years ago, yes, teaching was impossible to get into and things flip on its head. So you never know, right? And that was a span of what, 10 years of like people saying no, 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 no. So have, give yourself room to have failure and to question and to, I feel like another thing that I would even tell myself today is it's okay if you've done all those things and you feel like you want to do something different, like that is okay too. You should give yourself freedom to explore other careers. You should not feel like you were tethered to the thing that you studied. Like there are so many things available out there that you don't even know. Certainly physicians that exist that, you know, doesn't have to be lawyer, teacher, doctor, engineer. There's so many things within that. Like don't limit yourself. Right, uh, I think that's important where uh, it, it used to be that what you graduated with was what you did for the rest yeah. of your life. But there's so many people who uh, you see them where they are and you ask them, you graduated with a what? Like, how did yeah. that happen? Yeah. <laughs> there's so many more people who have some uh, totally different career than, than what they, they exactly. did in uh, uh, high school or, or university or, or whatever um, their career path. And uh, yeah, people can change and it's starting to become more and more of a norm that you're almost mm-hmm. expected to change and, and do something different. Yeah. So, what, what other future aspirations you have? So, so now that you're kind of getting settled into the teaching, uh, what, what's kind of uh, beyond or have you started thinking about that stage yet? I, I'm not sure yet. So I like uh, teaching. I'm still curious. I'm still debating on do I want to apply to boards? Like, is that something I'm going to do? I'm going to stick to sort of applying to private schools. Um, and, you know, because right now I'm working on a contract. So, you know, like say you continue to work on contract and your contract finishes, like, am I going to continue thing in the classroom or will I go move on to something like tutoring will I move on to working with kids but not in the classroom because I'm open to those things as well and I think the things that I like to do is not just in the classroom I uh, do want to go into guidance I would love to go into guidance counseling so I would need to take courses for that Um, and also be a librarian so those are two things in the school right still in school not in the classroom but working with kids either way Uh, those are open so looking to do AQ courses for library and guidance those are two things I'm looking forward to and then I'm currently doing a side missus of baking so that's going slowly because I don't want to push it too much because I'm struggling over here but that's going to I'm going to consider my baking and cake and stuff like that 
Cool. Yeah. A bunch of topics that we'll probably get into in, in future episodes if, if you're yeah. uh, willing to come back on. But yeah, uh, yeah so thanks so much for uh, sharing your story and, and your Thank journey you and, and from your swipe. And then, uh, yeah, is there anything that you uh, want to uh, part with in terms of uh, advice or anything for folks that are listening? Hmm. I would say definitely take opportunities like this, you know, when you're getting the podcast and someone talking to you, invest in those, watch those, take your time. Um, because it can be, it can be really helpful to hear words from someone who's starting and knowing their journey. Cause sometimes you listen to a story, you realize it matches with yours. That can be really helpful. So definitely listen to other people's experiences. And then if it, if it works great, if it doesn't work, you can just toss it out. You don't just start if it doesn't work for you. It's okay. Yeah, I think that's amazing. So I'm a huge advocate of mentorship. So learning yeah. from others, I think, is is definitely uh, one way that folks uh, could learn and to explore a little bit more widely. And then hopefully that'll point you into uh, more of the right direction, right? So yeah. take from the conversation what you enjoyed and loved and were interested in, and then follow that. And, and the parts that you didn't like so much, well, maybe you kind of leave that to the side as a different topic. Yeah. And I would say another thing too is, you know, looking for mentors that are where you are at currently, Right. So, for example, if you're just starting out and your mentor has been, you know, in the thing 30 years, right, like they have all the long range skills that they're already OK with. And you might be still struggling with this little thing, like you might want to find someone who's closer to you to guide you through that small little thing. And then you can go on to next, like bigger things like just being gentle with yourself and knowing, you know, it's OK to struggle and to get help with those small things first before you go into the bigger things and stuff like that. Cool. I think that's a lot of useful information for folks and uh, thank, thanks for joining us and uh, hopefully we'll have you back and uh, yeah. hopefully um, we can discuss a little bit more on, on education, maybe on baking and, yeah. and other philosophizing or something like that as yeah. well. Uh, thanks a lot for, for joining us. Thank Shana. you for having me. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks. All right, take care. Thanks for joining us on the Swike Stuff I Wish I Knew Earlier, the podcast. If you like the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. And if you can give us a review, that would be very appreciated. Feel free to contact me on LinkedIn at Luki Danu, L-U-K-I-D-A-N-U, and the same on most social media platforms. And I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. Bye.